Welcome to The 12th Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. And we're going to do all of that today. The Mercantile is 180 years old in the literary center of Cincinnati. We're going to keep it that way with new and exciting ways, including this podcast. We are a working library with more than 75,000 books available to members. We're at 414 Walnut Street in downtown in the Mercantile District and online at www.mercantilelibrary.com. New members always welcome. Just show up and ask to join. Joining us, we're very lucky, Jason Barron of Red Bike. Yo. Michael Link, the king of Joseph Beth Bookstore. Hi. (laughs) And Brendan Cull, board member and Kroger person. And bibliophile. Hello. Extraordinary. Hello. And, and, and one of the biggest readers I know. Uh, we're going to discuss a book today that's actually been out for a while. What's interesting is we're, the timing is based on a movie. Um, and we will get to the debate of which is better, the book or the film, although we are not entirely qualified for that. We've all read the book, uh, The Martian, by Andy Weir. I liked it. Michael. <laughs> I was, uh, yes, I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I did. I, I went into it uh, not sure. I'm not to, you know, full disclosure, not an enormous science fiction reader, but I don't think that this is necessarily science fiction. I think it's science fiction. A good Brandon, called, Brandon, called fiction Brandon, a good pause. Brandon, and, and, and Brent is staring through his eyes right now, <laughs> or through his fingers at me. So, uh, what did you think? I feel like I should go last. Uh, okay. The so podcast needs to heal. This book right. I intended <laughs> to read because, Michael, you brought it up in a previous podcast episode. I and did. we talked about this, I think, during our Station Eleven. It was during No, the during Ready Player One. Yeah. <clears throat> and we talked about this book, uh, and... So I devoured it. Um, Jason told me he loved it. I heard from other people that they loved it. I did not love this book. I thought it was engrossing. I enjoyed reading it because it was a quick read and it was fun. And I had goosebumps at the end when they saved him. Spoiler alert. Um, But I just didn't think it was a very well-constructed book. And I found quite a bit of it so preposterous, mostly his character and his persona, uh, that it was hard for me to take it all in. It's interesting you say that because um, if you read what other astronauts say about it, they say the character and the persona kind of nails it. That there is a attitude among astronauts that is to be very driven, very forward-looking, to make sure that you kind of like they almost train out of you like circumspection and what would lead to fear. And so they, they, I read an article where they, sh- they talked to a lot of astronauts and they were like, whether they liked the science or not, which is funny because mostly you read about how good the science is, the astronauts still loved that you kind of they, they thought he nailed the like attitude of an astronaut, the typical like personality profile. Yeah, so are they sending? Were, so so are all well. of the astronauts bros? Is that who they send to space now? Because that was the voice I heard this entire time. He was like some bro on space. Like uh, all his comments were huh. snarky and sarcastic. Well, I think and that's cynical. different than being. Uh, well, I would say I would say that they are. He was snarky and sarcastic. Um, but not a frat boy. Yeah, I definitely Oh, not. I totally got You that. got frat really? boy. So, yeah, like when he was saying things like, I'm the best botanist on the planet, and 
and his like flippant use of cur I mean this was a journal that he was presumably editing to send to the United States after he had long expired on Mars and his commentary was so flip and yet he kept saying yay yay over and over again and I was like he doesn't huh. sound like an astronaut to I me. don't think well he sounds like an astronaut who's been alone on a planet like yeah. for a hundred hundreds of days I mean, what kind so of action should we would it take to, <laughs> to put yourself in a mental place <laughs> to get there? Right in. Should we set this up? For yeah, all right. You know, uh, uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to talk about the book. I, before I'm thrown off the pod. All right. So the <laughs> subject matter of the book is our central character, whose name totally escapes me. Mark, Mark Watney. Watney. All right. Mark um, is on a trip to Mars with a group of other astronauts. Uh, horrible weather comes in. He's injured, presumed dead. On their way out. They're abandoning the mission. Yes. He, they are he, they think literally running to their de departure vehicle. They, have, they see flat lines from his suit. And they his assume he's gone. They so assume he's dead. Right. They evacuate in a huge dust storm. Somewhere. And their hearts are broken. Yeah. I mean, they were really upset. sad about it, which is actually kind of important. Because they have a 10-month journey back to Earth, having lost a colleague, having right. lost someone they trained with for that they'd literally become bros with, to your point, Brendan, because they trained for four years to make this mission happen. Yeah. And I kind of feel like if he, not to jump back to the to decimating the bro argument, but um, I, I feel like so much of like that reaction, uh, they could have, it could have been much more like, oh, look at this guy, he's Indiana Jones, he's, uh, you know, he's the ladies' man, he's this, he's that, he's that. No, it's sort of like he was... Uh, he was not the romantic lead on the mission, you know, and the best botanist on the planet. You know, I think he does make a lot of references, joking references to the fact that he is the Martian. He's the one person alive on this planet. I just right. thought it was like the asides that he would put in his diary were so snarky and so kind of flippant that it, it was hard for me to believe that somebody like this would get hired by NASA <laughs> and have that. If you have that kind of attitude and that you're stuck on the planet, knowing that you still have a mission, you're still trying to s survive. I loved all the MacGyver stuff that he did to keep himself alive. I like all the science stuff. But like, like his regular use of shit and the F word over and over again, it just seemed implausible to me. It was like clearly meant to like engage a reader, which, okay, fine. Do you but it was like a Mars astronaut is not going to write like that. Do you think any of that's colored by the fact that Matt Damon played him in the movie? Because I find that sometimes... No, I, I haven't seen the movie. I always hate... Well, yeah, but you don't have to see it to know that it's coming out and to, like... I always hate when movies do that. They change I actually the think Mar I, I think Matt Damon will be... I'm looking forward to seeing the movie because I think I'll like the character more. Because who doesn't like Matt Damon? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so... <laughs> book, here, so just a little bit more setup. So the, the point is, is that initially it becomes immediate survival. How does he get to the place where he survives 72 hours? And then yeah. how does he get to a place where he can survive a month and then multiple months and growing food What's and making water and air and all that stuff? I don't know enough about the chemical and engineering thing. He is... he does mention the fact that everybody on the mission has to be trained in at least two disciplines. So he is the botanist and the engineer, which, you know, again, sets it up to survive. If, you know, there was the uh, animal handler and fashion designer, 
would not have made it very long <laughs> on Mars. So. Crucial, crucial Mars, um, right. lunar, lunar, or Mars landing um, jobs. Right, and so as he's trying to figure this stuff out, sometimes things are successful right off the bat. Sometimes he almost blows himself up. And I think that sort of, uh, it reminds me of the line from The Princess Bride. You know, he's like, good night, Wesley. You did a good job today. We'll most likely kill you in, in the morning. Right, right. I kind of feel like that's where his mental state is. He's like, all right, uh, I figured out how to get through today. I'm going to try this tomorrow. It might very well blow me up because I'm going to be messing with whatever it may be, rocket fuel or right. uh, nuclear power. Um, and if I don't, then we'll keep going kind of right. stuff. So well, I do see that the... On some level, the character has to be interesting, too. So I agree that there's one, there's one type of character that might have written this log as a strict historical journal. But at the same time, I think this guy, one of the things that I find interesting about it is he, he walks this interesting line from the beginning with the first line of the book being that I'm effed. And he walks this interesting line of recognizing that he's, odds are good that he's going to die, but at the same time kind of keeping himself in the right place in order to succeed. And part of that is he has to keep himself entertained. I mean, one of the things that go throughout the whole story is his ongoing battle with 70s pop culture. Right. Because the commander of the ship, they each get to bring along <laughs> all of this fun. media. Yeah. Well, one, of the, one of the holes in the story actually is why nobody else brought anything entertaining right. except for one character. Right. But that's beside the point. The right. one no, character that did bring something entertaining. No, because there were the TV shows. But they were all like That was all from the same character. Yeah, yeah. It was all 70s was television. Company and I think maybe all the rest was lost. But interesting. It might have been, yeah. But interestingly, uh, like, so one of the ongoing things is his kind of like, you know, his, his running through of this. And there's this one great scene in the book where back on Earth, they're like, oh my God, like we, we've made contact. We know he's alive. We think we can bring him back. Like what must he be thinking? And then it flashes to him being like, I really fucking hate disco. And it's like this great line of him trying right. to like, you know, what you, was the you can't even imagine. Someone else brought all the books of Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Sorry. true. That's, and, that and is I apologize. True. I'm not quite as crisp on the details. Oh, if I'm on Mars, so. I'm, I'd be thrilled with a stack of Agatha Christie novels. <laughs> well, you'd terrific. run through them though. They're, yeah, I liked a couple you, and things. And then you do a podcast about how unplausibly you found the narrators. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Hercule Perot. Is anyone really that proper? <laughs> well, Brendan's wishing Mark would have been uh, a little bit more proper. See, we wondered how it would happen if somebody just really didn't like one of the books. Yes. Now, now we're finding we're out. <laughs> I liked that he had no, he essentially had no backstory. Like, Where's this guy's family? Right. Uh, you meet well, he says they he has parents. He's never married. Bit, no yeah. kids. But you meet his parents at some point. Uh, vaguely. but they're Right, but that was the point. Of the, like, I didn't understand. Like, all of a sudden, we're meeting these characters' families. I loved like, it. What, what is that I about? I loved it. He's just him there. There's, there's, there's no backstory. There's, no, there's really nothing he's going back to either. Essentially, the life he's going back to, in many respects, I thought, was the life he's living on Mars. He feels like kind of solitary. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was a good idea on the book. And then I want one other thing, and then I want to find out the story behind the telling of this book is really interesting. Correct. Um, I, you know, as to the my final thought on the bro thing, I, my thought was in the right stuff when Chuck Yeager is about to break the sound barrier, and there's this like voice in his headset that says, "Put the spurs to it, Chuck." And he <laughs> felt a little bit more like a, without all that, you know, kind of playboy stuff, he had a little bit of that put the spurs to it Chuck character in him. I kind of liked it. I, I liked, otherwise it would have been a god-awful book. It would have been, I mean, those science, those NASA people are nerds. Um, well, that, that was a blur. 
unlike for me that people on a book podcast. The, yes, <laughs> who are the coolest. Totally different. Ever. Much different. Much right. different. I should Michael, point out. Michael, tell us the, the story of how this book became a book. I don't know. So tell. I'll I'm going to hand this to you. I thought you knew this story. <laughs> no, I just. I, I know. That's I know it as story. well. I know it as well. So, so I can we can fill, fill in. My, my understanding. Curious. I just heard this right before the podcast. My understanding is that Andy Weir had a small but loyal following online where he would post short stories and other things that he wrote. He wrote. And so he started writing this book. He would post it chapter by chapter online. Yep. People would give him feedback as he went. And then scientists would help him kind of ferret out whether or not what he was saying was actually plausible. By the way, I thought that part of the book was really interesting. I mean, it was clear he had thought through the science of everything that they had done. Right. I mean, I brought up – there's an article in Modern Farmer this week, which, yeah, I look at every once in a while. But apparently My in Modern God. Farmer, they're like – It's like look, a cry for help. Right. <laughs> you, but apparently there's an article about how, yeah, actually you could grow potatoes on Mars the way he said how you would grow. So he had fact-checked all this stuff because readers would, would write in. Well, it kind of got popular, and it got forwarded around on, you know, I don't know, wherever sci-fi people go. And they got, they got interested in prom. it. Yeah. They got interested <laughs> in it. And they said, why don't you just put this on Amazon and we can download the whole thing on our Kindles. And he said, sure. So he puts it up there, charges 99 cents for it, and it goes crazy. And it starts getting hot. A viral book, if, if you will. So every book writer's fantasy every book, coming every true. Period. Every writer's fantasy yeah. coming right. true. And so literary agent calls. Somebody buys the, buys the movie rights. And then he writes in this article that's at the end of the book. We published from a magazine that, you know, the, the most surreal day of his life was looking at the New York Times b bestseller list and seeing him himself on there. I mean, this was basically uh, some, somewhat crowdsourced, you mm -hmm. know. Right. Uh, well, and he was very kind of medium successful at being just a random kind of computer programmer. Yeah. Well, and just like his actual day job. Oh, so he right. wasn't a writer. An, he, he was a guy writer, that yeah. had a job working at AOL and then at some game company, and then, you know, he kind of bounced around. I read one article that said, like, you know, he, he did this kind of nomadic life of a programmer, which I don't know much about that, but apparently he was kind of medium successful and moved from job to job and wasn't ever considered, like, this lights-out scientist or this lights-out, you know, journalist or anything like that. So the parallels to a previous podcast, to Ready Player One, are pretty strong here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have these two kind of normal people who end up writing books that become huge bestsellers buying the movie rights, but comparing the two, I just found Ready Player One to be just m a much better put together novel. I thought what was interesting about this one was if you were going to write a book, and I, I think a lot of the things that I appreciated about it were as much what was there as what wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Like there were there wasn't like you were saying all this really emotional baggage, or he had to get home to his kids. Oh, or I would have stopped he, reading. Yeah, of course, if it had been saccharine. I think it's like this guy Andy Weir. You look at it, and it's about it's it's you pull everything away. He just basically was like, "I'm gonna write, you know, uh, man versus nature, but in space on his own interests." The science was really interesting, um, and I kind of feel like the character was there to get from problem to problem to problem, but in a least successful or less well done uh, book that would have gotten really old and really boring very fast if it was just constantly like, okay, and I survived this, and here's the next turtle, and here's the next turtle, and here's the next turtle. I, you know, I just But I thought right that's through. what it was. I well, thought like a, every three pages, he, like, and, and I'm stealing a line from our fine producer here, it's like every three pages it was a new issue, and then three pages later it was fixed. I mean, at the end, 
there's the the massive crisis at the end is he's heading towards the launch where they're going to rendezvous with him. He's going to launch back into space, and he encounters this dust storm, and he's going to run out of solar to get his, yes. his rover thing. And then all of a sudden, like NASA's flipping out about it, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I just went around it. I'm, I was like, wait a minute. Well, but what he but did he to really figure out how to go around it, around yeah, was almost one of the on more the interesting it. things like he, he figured out was how to judge right. whether or not he was intersecting it quicker to the north or quicker to the south. And that was one of the more interesting puzzles. Yeah. I mean, on some level, I think that when, it you, was the when, you, moment. when you read a book, I, I always think it's important to try to think about the book and what the author was trying to do. So it's easy to read a book and say, well, this is what I would have done. And I do that a lot more with movies than I do with books. But it's easy to read it and be like, oh, well, I would have done this, or I would have had more of that. Or I mean, maybe some people read this and be like, I wish I knew more about his mom and dad, or I wish I knew more about his kids, or I wish he had some sort of like emotional experience, which we all have reacted against. But everybody feels different things about that. In this book, I feel very much he was trying to tell kind of a straightforward adventure story. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's, it's, it's Castaway versus, or meets, you know, 2001 yeah, Space Odyssey. Uh, yeah, and Apollo 13. You know, exactly. Yeah, so it's how do you, how do you plug these things okay, together? Okay, so but use those as parallels. Like they both had these moments where, especially in Castaway, where he completely breaks, right? I mean, you know, that moment where he's knocking his teeth out or the moment oh. where he's, you know, completely lost and alone, and then the weight of that hits him. And I don't feel like we ever got that in this particular book. This guy's on a planet by himself, and he was not self-aware enough to say, oh my God, I'm scared. Well, but can, can he also be a hero? I mean, like, you know, in a lot of, a lot of fiction, we really enjoy the kind of badass who shuff, you know, swashbuckles into the room and says, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save the day. You know, the Indiana Jones, the Han Solo, and here we got a guy who swashbuckles into the room, not with his, you know, gun at his hip or his, you know, whip in his hand, but That's instead with his brain. He walks yeah. throws potatoes. Correct. Right. He's yeah. a botanist. It's, it's, he is a badass botanist who right. takes yeah. over a planet. And that's it, is I think, you know, there is that reaction, um, especially, you know, in contemporary science fiction literature, where the just the Hugo Awards, which are kind of like the Academy Awards for science fiction, there was this whole enormous uh, just, uh, you know, it was covered in all the international media about a bunch of authors who largely identify with um, the more conservative and libertarian politically, but the science fiction that they write are exactly that. It's maybe a little bit old school. It's, it's guy blaster fighting the bad guys, getting the girl, and they feel like those, the books that they write and the books that they like to read don't get recognized critically, so there was, they took over the slate and tried to take over the awards and so forth. But, and I think that this is, a, a, again, a kind of a reaction to some of that. It's like, no, yeah, it's easy if this guy rolled in and was Han Solo or Indiana Jones or uh, one of the any other Harrison. One of the lines in the book that I actually had to look up because I didn't know what it meant was... Uh, Rich Parnell becomes a, this key fake fact figure, right? And he's this astrodynamicist, dynamist, I don't know how to say it, um, who figure out the flight patterns, right? Obviously, the yeah. planets are moving, so you got to, and he figures out that they yeah. can actually send the original crew back to get him and save the day. And Which so is he a ends nice up, moment. He, it's a fantastic moment, and it leads to all of these kind of really great um, kind of emotional decisions, and I think, the, I think the book does have a lot of, uh, it's a lot of these science moments, but also it's a lot of these like kind of real moral dilemmas that, that, that various characters, mostly on Earth, have to deal with. Um, but anyway, so Rich Parnell ends up being kind of the hero of the show because he like runs an algorithm on a supercomputer to figure out how to send the ship back using, you know, the certain amount of gra um, energy and using the Earth for gravity boost. Um, and Basically so after the 
Mark was being written off. Exactly, right. exactly. And so, and at that point, when the crew decides to mutiny and go along with the plan, they write back, Rich Purnell is a steely-eyed missile man. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Well, it turns out that that is, I guess, a phrase that came out of, like, the whole Apollo missions, where a steely-eyed missile man was someone who, in the face of incredible odds and a problem that couldn't be solved, was able to kind of sit down, work the math, work the problem, and get it done. And I think oh, that ends up being what the that. book's about. Yeah, I do too. I, I really appreciate the that. The book is I'm about being a steely-eyed missile man. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I, I thought that that was just them being again. cool. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. But it that. wasn't. This is apparently something where Darren, it, would, it would almost like be like... you're promoted. This is, you're <laughs> like, welcome know, right? to the podcast. You might get to play you again. <laughs> I'm, off the, I'm off the slate. Looks like I'm back to being cousin. I I hope that the movie... Unlike Castaway, doesn't end with that god awful actress who just ruined the last third of Castaway. I'm trying to remember her name. Helen Hunt. Oh. Is that who it was? She How was terrible you, in that movie. I can't have you talking bad about Helen I, Hunt. I, well, but again, that's about that's you. different than this book, at least. Yeah. In yeah, that, just, without giving away too much no of the movie for you guys that haven't seen to it. Anybody? Exactly. Right. Well, <laughs> I have an emotional connection to the other astronauts, which I found to, in, to a, in a like sort of like way. I have an emotional connection to like you know my people at work. I mean, it's a it's a they're friends, and I care a great deal about them, and we, we banter with one another. Backtrack. But imagine but if you like worked with I'm them backtrack. 24 hours a day. What would you say? Backtrack. What I meant by that is everyone in my department, are especially my boss. They are, I'd like to call them my family, <laughs> but I love them more than my family. <laughs> <laughs> it's on a higher level. No, I meant like I really appreciated the witty banter between the two of them, but like it's not like they established that one of them was his best friend and that he confided in that person and he knew everything right. about how that guy grew up. Or two of the people on the crew were, ended up sleeping together. But that's ju- he just kind of like. Pep- he like it was like sprinkling with a little paprika just to make this a little spicy. No, but what? But see, I look at it the other nice, way. Wasn't she? Didn't you like her? Completely. She was deeply, deeply troubled. Well, and I thought what he was able to do in the in for the like four pages. No, so no, it's, it, no, it pops back up. And what I feel is that if if all the things that I, I guess I'm liking the reason I responded so much to the characters in this and to to Mark the main character specifically is because there weren't those things that I feel like could have been really easy to plug in. Like, it, he could have been beginning to have a, a romantic relationship with one of the other astronauts. He could have been he, with Johansson, yeah. Yeah, but, exactly, but he wasn't. He was the guy who was like, all right, you know, he's a little, you know, he, he's, he's not Matt Damon. You know, he's a... Uh, he talks about not getting all the girls, and he yeah, talks about kind of being right. the nerd. Steve Gutenberg or something. What's and, a, what's did you just anything, say Steve Gutenberg? <laughs> Steve Gutenberg got all the girls, by the way. Yeah, but if anything, I think he almost, you can sense a little bit about he's excited to see what it would be like to come back and to be the guy that was the Martian. What he would does his life the end, change He's to? like, I'm going to be a hero. I bet I get all the girls. The other thing I think that's Bro. interesting that, that the author does, <laughs> well, I think he's excited about that, Brandon. Yeah. Um, as we all would be on our nerd podcast here. But I think one of the interesting things the author does is that this book could have been 700 pages and included a lot of the stuff we've talked about, right? Yeah. But instead, I thought even the, the author made some – I was kind of frustrated that there wasn't a little bit more at the end. I wanted to see him get back to Earth. I was frustrated when he skipped yes. like 100 days. But yes. at the same time, to get back to these characters on the, on the, in the crew, he was able with an email to each of the crew members – and one page and a half conversation from each of the crew members to their family telling them they weren't coming home for a year, I think to convey quite a bit about each character. Now, I agree that could have been more well-developed if they did that 10 times for each character, but I felt like with just, again, making the choice to just say, I wanna, I'm going to get across a lot about these characters and give them some definition without spending you know, a whole bunch of pages trying to dig too deep into their, um, 
their backstories. I thought that was a pretty interesting way to do that. It was. It felt sure i mean I, look, I, <laughs> I i i here's what, what bothered me about it is i'm 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 complaining about it and i had a list of complaints about this book but i completely devoured it and i rode the bus into work this morning when i could have gotten a ride with my wife but i rode the bus because i knew i would get 25 minutes to finish the book and i almost missed my bus stop because i was like flipping i got off the bus at court street walked a block literally reading the last four pages of this book because i was completely engrossed and i had the goosebump moment when they like yeah for a guy who didn't like the book him. i've been quoting you engrossing goosebumps devoured but i could write the blur like, about I mean, the like, back of this book really brendan cole says i had goosebumps no I it's like those great reviews right we're like it sucked there was a moment where it's mesmerizing I'm going to go. John Verdi says it's I'm, mesmerizing. I'm going to go all the way back to grade school when there was a movie called Space Camp. Did anybody see Ugh. Space Camp? A million times. I did a not. million times I, on VHS. A group of kids go to Space Camp in Alabama or wherever they do Space Camp, and the, they're like in a fake shuttle, and it accidentally shoots off. Oh my God! Like, are you kidding? And <laughs> it. So it was. It's a terrible, terrible campy movie. It's a great idea, though. Loved it. Watched it a hundred times. Was always like I never saw it thought happen. it was cool when they rescued them at the end of the movie, but it's not very good. And I had the same feeling about this. I was like, "This is campy. It's uh, I was entertained, but it, I, I mean, it's people are like, I I thought I was expecting a lot more when I heard about this book because it was held up as like this is an amazing novel. I think it is. I know. I, I mean, I will I will agree with you. I do think that first and foremost, it's an entertainment. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a great... Which has value. Completely. Total. Oh, completely. Completely does. Um, it's, a, it's an entertainment. It's a little bit... Uh, I think it straddles a, a number of different types of... You know, it's a little science fiction. It's a little thriller. Uh, you know, it definitely has genre elements to it. I think it is successful. I think one of the things when I finished it that I was wondering is the things that I responded to that we've largely spoken about... I saw, or maybe I gave the benefit of the doubt that there were choices in this. Um, with the, you know, if he writes another book, it, I think it, some of those will out. Like, were there choices here, or was it he didn't do the backstory because he's not there yet as, as a writer? As a writer, uh. I don't know. I, I took, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I felt it was choices. I felt that they lined up with the character and the situation, yeah. Yeah. and he stripped away a lot of stuff that. I felt would have kind of muddied what it was there for, yeah. uh, what the book was doing, the narrative was doing. Um, I think those choices served the narrative overall. I think it'll be interesting to see what, what his next book is because, again, you know, a lot of the contemporary science, fantasy, the reason why I don't read as much of it is they're all exposition, backstory, cinematic asides, chapters that are right. just backing up a character that you just never see again. Yeah. Um, those types of things that really kind of, I, uh, some people respond to it, it me makes it meatier. Uh, for me, I felt would have done a disservice to what this was. This book was trying to do. Well, on some level, he catches lightning in a bottle here. I mean, yeah, yeah, you sure. know, he has, so I agree that this is, this is a popcorn book on some level, and it's entertaining, and it's, it's a thrill ride, but he, it's also unlike anything I've ever read before, mm -hmm. right? Like, he makes science swashbuckling. He makes... I mean, you know, he, he does it from like a different storytelling perspective in that it is through this series of logs. And he's very, he's very dedicated to only telling the story through either Watney's logs or the characters on Earth in a more traditional style. 
but he never like really strays to like now I'm gonna just go kind of real time. What happens to Watney? It, I and, completely I agree. I, and I think that's an interesting like he's created something that I don't I don't know that his next book will be any good. It but won't. This I guarantee you this is his one off. He will never replicate well, now, the so, success. So Cedric, who uh, a frequent uh, podcaster, uh, uh, says that he wrote a short story that has like a cult um, something about the egg. I hate to. Know what I'm talking about, but um, you can cut that and play that over the, and over the, again. The incredible but edible egg. There's something called the egg, and it's a short story that that Cedric told me on the way up here that that he has this like wide following for. So maybe his small but loyal following has the potential. You know, we talked a little bit. I mean, I'm going to read his next book. To be clear, yeah, sure, <laughs> I mean, me too. I what you were saying about the science, I think, is another um, valuable piece of this book and and the fact that it's a movie because I think a lot of I think probably a lot of kids will go see that movie or or um, you know like seventh grade up will go see that movie and if there is as much in the movie about science as there is in the book and it encourages them to read the book and they get interested in the science I think that is arguably the best part about this because you know yeah this could handshake people into this could yeah. this could if, I, if I'm a 14 year old boy reading this book, I might be like, dude, science is awesome. I want right. to learn more about science because that guy made potatoes on Mars out of his own poop. And I might get interested in that. I guarantee and if that, that happens, I think that's great. I my 17-year-old is dying to see this movie. Yeah. I guarantee that the real-life really, real really NASA director... I was going to say, my 17-year-old is dying to grow potatoes in his own <laughs> yes. And I just, I would like to encourage all of them. John's kids. His name's Henry. Dude, Henry. Let's shame him now. <laughs> you don't need to ask permission. Fortunately, he probably doesn't listen to his dad's now, podcast. Now, Jason, <laughs> you and I Never. both know one of the people who play, who, uh, so Correct. a mutual friend of ours who worked in politics in Ohio is now the press secretary to the she's the Annie Montrose. She's the what's her name? Montrose. Annie Montrose. Annie right? Montrose. And so that's her character in this novel. Well, it's interesting because I posted on. Facebook, the great communicator, that I really like this book and that everyone should read the book versus see the movie. I feel like there's lots of books. Yeah. The, book, the book is always better than the movie, and I've not really, li really listened to any arguments against that in almost every circumstance. But I thought this was a particular one where it would be easy to just go see the movie. And I really, f but also it's not like I get that not a lot of people are readers, but I feel like this is the kind of book that people that aren't readers might pick up and read yeah. as they're like, it's the first book I've read in 10 years, but it's pretty yeah, good. Sure. Right. I'll schedule another one for 10 years from now. And so I put something on there, and she was quick to, she was quick to, that's a digression, she was quick to post and say that the press secretary in real life was much more like the book than the movie, which is interesting, because in the movie, Kristen Wiig, unfortunately, plays kind of more of a like, oh, well, what are we going to do? Like, this is tough. And in the book, she's this fast-talking, kind of badass woman who's always cussing and yelling and fighting with the press and fighting with her superiors yes. and yeah. quick to make Calls decisions. Calls a man gutless. Yes. And I, really love gutless I love that moment. character, and it's in part because I kept seeing Lauren exactly. in the book. When so I was reading the book, yeah. Our friend Lauren Worley, yeah, is now the press secretary at NASA, which is a pretty one amazing thing. Got to be one of the coolest and jobs. I don't know about it right would have been a lot cooler when they were still actually going to space, but yeah, still a no, cool I definitely job. see it as She's making me one to two I mean, steps away from eventually being in space. Actually, I, don't know if I, feel, I feel like NASA, This I feel like this book helps NASA. I feel like it no reinforces Well, you got to feel like the real life of, Teddy. So Teddy's the head of NASA in the book. You got to feel like the real life Teddy, who I didn't research that part. Um, you've got to feel like he sent this to every member of Congress and probably sent about 10 copies <laughs> to the president. <laughs> right, right. Um, being like, hey, guys, what do you think? Right. Um, because I think, in fact, one of the things I read was that a, l a lot of the science is right. Like, they've kind of figured out how to get to Mars. Now they just need 
you know, $10 billion to do it. Yeah, and they, they and had so a great, I mean, the NASA had a great week last week because not only did this movie was like getting teed up and it was all over the news, the book is on every bookshelf at every bookseller in America. Yeah. Um, and they found water on Mars, for God's sake. I, I mean, like, right. talk about one of the great space discoveries of this decade or generation. Turned out the Martians should have worked a little bit harder to find some of that water. <laughs> he went through a lot of work to water those if potatoes. If only they were hanging out with Mark Watney. <laughs> Dude, get me some water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did like the book read. Uh, that, that will happen with this book. Uh, my kids read some of those Jason Bourne movies, got them to read, you know, some of those Jason Bourne books, which yep. were pretty good. Um, in some cases, very good. So it'll get them reading. I'm yeah, sure I think of it. That's, you know, and that's one of the, you know, especially as a bookseller, um, <laughs> you do have to find those hooks. And books like this make it easier for us because there are sometimes, and there's always that argument too, um, you know, whenever we talk to teachers or librarians, they're always looking for that, you know, reluctant reader. How do you hook a reluctant reader? Is right. it graphic novels? Is it science fiction? Is it YA? Whatever. And this is, a, I think, a really good one. And if it was just purely, you know, if they're like, oh, well, we need neutrino crystals from, <laughs> you know, from Venus not to gonna power our right. jetpacks <laughs> to get through space. You just be like, all right, this is not going to work for anybody. He's just but, making stuff up. And I don't, I have zero science background. But so didn't you want to go do some science well, after sure. this? Well, yeah. Like I was looking for a Bunsen burner and I was like <laughs> analyzing <laughs> so things around so me and I like suddenly was looking like for escape routes out of rooms. Like, <laughs> yeah, how do you, how do you make, how do you make air and water from rocket fuel? Right. Yeah, what do you have? How does this work? Is um, there an appropriate airlock in my office building? That's <laughs> what I want to say. Yeah, exactly. How is this book being displayed right now at Joseph Beth? Is well, it getting, a, is no, it getting it, a lot of love or is it getting oh, a well, little love? We've, I mean, we've, at this point, um, yeah, we've sold does thousands. Does the cover have Matt Damon on it? We try not to, honestly, because what, what's funny is for us, the movie cover almost never if you put the movie cover and the original cover next to each other. Original cover for sure. For sure. I was impressed, Brendan, because you have the paperback. Sure. I've got the hardback, but you've got the paperback, and it doesn't have the movie cover on it. And I was no, impressed and you I found will tell that. You, I bought it at a local grocery store. Which yeah. usually is the home of the, and like, let's I show Matt Damon's face. I thought for certain I was going to end up with a copy with a, like, big face of Matt Damon, and I was going to be slightly embarrassed. No, that's it. Well, that's By the I way, Michael, that's, that's one black star for Brendan next to the, on the account. I, no, I agree, with, I agree with that. He could have he also was gotten it, it at, the, at the Mercantile Library. Company discount. I, I understand that he is a member. Is that correct? I could have gotten it here. No. Uh, grocery stores sell a lot of books. They do. Well, and that's, that's oh, where the movie yeah. tie-ins. A ton that's of where books. The, the movie tie-ins largely go is the, more the mass merchant channel. Right. You know, Costco, Walmart, grocery stores, airport stores, right. that kind of stuff. Um, because that's where people are quickly identifying it. They see it, whereas if it was just the cover, you know, and it, it, people wouldn't necessarily immediately. Although it is a pretty cool cover. It is a cool cover. But don't you think, like, people want, I mean, that's an interesting conversation. Like, what's in the psyche of a buyer if you put the Matt Damon cover right next to the original cover? The red. And you're saying that Mars the buyer is going to buy the, I think that the other reason. Well, the buyer at Joseph Beth. Yes. First, the buyer But I at think even if you put it next to each other at a lot of places, like, after the oh, movie's sure. out, the person who's going to buy the book doesn't want everyone to know that they're just 
that they're buying. Like, well, the they want they want people Matt. to be like, oh, they must have had it before. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, 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 they want to sure. say something about right. themselves when they buy the book. That's what with the, the character with the actor or actress always makes me feel a little low rent. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm literary. Yes. I don't yes. care. Yes, yes. We can wrap up with a quick round of book recommendations, which I always say to myself, I'm going to prepare for this, and I never do, um, so I sound smarter than I am, um, but what... Uh, Mr. Link, what are you liking or what is surprising you with its sales right now? Oh, well, I can actually uh, answer this with uh, the same title on both regards. Um, there's an author whose book just came out. Um, she was uh, tragically underpublished and underread for her first couple of books. Her name is Lauren Groff, yeah. G-R-O-F-F. The, her new novel is called Fates and Furies. Right. Uh, it's already been shortlisted for the Kirkus Prize, and we will be seeing it uh, on the bestseller lists and shortlists for many literary prizes throughout the year. Uh, she switched to a new publisher um, and actually <coughs> took, you know, Insider Baseball took less money to go with the publisher that she felt really would understand what she's doing. And this new book is spectacular. It's uh, the story of a marriage, uh, two characters, a husband and wife. You, the, book very, the book begins with them uh, just having been married. They're sort of making love on the beach. Half of the book is his perspective. Half of the book is hers. Throughout the book, you learn things that you never saw coming. It is sort of set up as kind of like a Greek chat tragedy with choruses and stuff, but this book is really, I think, taking an author that I thought was incredibly talented, and just she just set forth what I think is going to be recognized as the first truly major book of an incredibly long and successful artistic career. Fates wow. and Furies? Fates. Fates. Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. What else uh, had she? What else has she written? That uh, was her first book was *The Monsters of Templeton*, which was pretty good. Uh, *Arcadia* was her second novel. She wrote a brilliant collection of short stories called *Delicate Edible Birds*, um, which I just some of the stories in that book are still uh, easily some of my best, my favorite short stories. Period. Uh, and she is just a spectacularly talented uh, writer, and that is well worth picking up. So fates and sounds Furies. like a person we should have come to the library next year. Yeah, she's great. She's really she's been in Cincinnati a number of times. Um, she's, she'll be at the store. Uh, probably it'll, it will have happened by the time this podcast is out. Uh, but yeah, she comes to Cincinnati uh, and she's just great. And this is a really truly spectacularly meaty and well done fall book. <laughs> Terrific. So I didn't know there was going to be homework, so I didn't come with anything on mine. But but something came to my th my thoughts right away, and I don't know if Brendan will like it. Maybe it's too popcorny. But uh, I recently read, like two or three years ago, I read a book. Um, Soon I will be invincible, and I picked it up. Oh yeah, um, Austin Grossman. Correct, Austin Grossman. I picked it up at like Barnes and Noble. It was like staff recommendations, and uh, I was drawn to it right away. Obviously, we're in the heart of comic book movies, and comic books are having their renaissance. And this is a really clever tale told from the perspective of Doctor Impossible who is an evil genius, mad scientist, would-be taker-over of the world, 
and it starts with him escaping from this prison out of the X-Men that is supposed to be totally unbreakable, uh, impossible to break out of. And then he sets about turning his evil empire back on. Um, the chapters alternate between his worldview um, and the worldview of an Avengers-style team that are all horribly, tragically broken people that happen to have superpowers. Um, it's, not, it's not the Avengers. It's not Magneto or some supervillain that looks good, in a, looks good in a suit, but it's a guy that is, is horribly, has a lot of like problems, and, but he also happens to be a genius that's trying to take over the world. It's just a fascinating read. I really liked it, and it's just a lot of fun. It's absolutely hilarious um, as, he, as he attempts to conquer the world, um, but I really liked it a lot. That was Jason Bourne. Thank you very much. Jason Barron. The Bourne Identity. Brendan. <laughs> yeah, you Don't tell anybody Bourne, about that. That actually would be awesome. That's my secret identity. <laughs> Jason. I didn't work hard on the name. Uh, I, would, I just finished um, uh, the biography of Elon Musk by Ashley Vance, which I think is, is doing Another quite Another big bestseller, yeah. Doing quite well right now. Uh, it's a quick read. It's, again, it's not a spectacular biography, but... He's an interesting character, reading a little. He participated in the book, so you get a lot of interviews with him, which is pretty rare. Uh, that kind of, you know, personal interview. Hear a little bit about his philosophy with what, what he's trying to do with, I was more interested in the Tesla stuff than I was the SpaceX stuff hmm. um, uh, and, the, and the Solar City stuff that he's working on. But, I mean, you know, here's a fascinating entrepreneur who's in our world right now who's arguably doing something that could radically change the way we all live 50 years from now. And interesting to check in on him at this still very, very early stage in his career. Um, reminded me a little bit of the Warren Buffett biography, Snowball, um, just written kind of much earlier in the, in the person's career. So it's, it's good. I'll end with a book that uh, is probably 15 years old, might be 20 years old, but I was just thinking of it, so it must have stayed with me. Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea. Um, which is a true story, and it's, it kind of starts in Columbus. It's about a shipwreck that happened, a real shipwreck, a boat going from San Francisco during the gold rush uh, before the Panama Canal. It comes up around, uh, drops down, comes up, huge hurricane. Boat sinks, filled with gold. Um, and there's a kind of odd young man at Ohio, you know, he's finished at Ohio State, he's a graduate student, and he convinces a bunch of bankers in Columbus, including the publisher of the newspaper. This is a true story? This is an entirely true story. So the Wolf family, it's the Wolf family, yeah. Um, and he says, I think I could find this ship, and shockingly does. Um, and the story is incredible. And, and actually, last year, like in the last six months, this man, who the book is about, was finally captured and arrested. So you... Uh, oh, he, he stole all their money. Well, you know, he found the gold. Uh, then a bunch of insurance companies said, hey, you know, 100 years ago, we paid off that loss. God bless insurance companies. Um, <laughs> that, that gold is ours. And so, like, there's a technology aspect. He, there's a line in the book that um, says, you know, working on the bottom of the sea at this depth was harder than working on the moon because 98% of shipwrecks 
are in water that's like 20 feet deep because this is usually a ship running aground, um, not sinking in the, in, the, in the deep blue ocean. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he got these, I mean, could you imagine going to Columbus Bankers and the publisher of the, of the paper and saying, hey, would you like to invest in this? I think I can get you an amazing return. I'm probably going to do that. Yes. Well, I heard there's some rubes. He <laughs> found the gold, and he is now in a federal <laughs> prison. Um, how that happens is also part of the book. Oh, but I can't wait to read this book. That sounds it great. It is an incredible book, made more so by the fact that every word of it is true. Huh, great. Awesome. All right. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Today on the 12th story, we encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at, at Mercantile Lib, Lib, L-I-B, period. Uh, today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Orsed. I'm going to go with Chris because he's on my right. Special thanks to our guest, you all know who they are. The 12th Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDymard, McDermott. Uh, don't forget to visit us online <laughs> at www.mercantilelibrary.com. I'm going to be fired Imagine by the end of the week. Um, yeah. Drive safely. Enjoy our show. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.